Velociraptor. Vel- <laughs> <laughs> I just always want to say Velociraptor when I say philosophy. I don't know why. All right. Roll the tape. Here we go. Velociraptor Friday, Philosophy Friday. Um, we're talking about not the not the problem of good or the yeah the problem of good. We're talking about the problem of evil. That's it. Um, which is the theodicy issue. That's um, right. So theodicy. Do you remember how to define it? Yeah, it's. Uh, you mean in terms of the actual problem? The etymological breakdown of the word. Of the word. Hmm. No. Tell me. The theos obviously is God, and I'm guessing here, uh, but dikeo is for righteous, ah. the righteousness of God. Right, got Dikaiosune it. is righteousness. Yeah, makes sense. So, cool. Yeah. So the righteousness of God issue. Okay, and, and we're why because justice of God. Yeah. Yeah. How could God be righteous if um, you know we have sin in the world, or if we have evil? Essentially, either he's uh, unable, he's not not powerful, um, yes. or he's not righteous. Basically. That's it. I mean, the dilemma is stated in many ways. Here's uh, Epicurus, one of the earlier ones from 341 BC. Mm -hmm. And so he sort of puts all the issues on the table, and he has sort of four options here. He says this, either God wishes to take away evils and is unable, Mm -hmm. or he is unable and unwilling, or he is neither willing nor able, Mm -hmm. or he is both willing and able. Right. So those are your, those are all four options. <laughs> totally. Wow. And so th- this sort of uh, logically follows that you know if God is willing but unable, that would mean he's feeble, not powerful. Mm-hmm. If he's able but unwilling, that would make him wicked. Mm-hmm. If he's neither willing nor able, well then he's just not God. Mm-hmm. And if he is willing and able, then why does evil still exist? Mm. And so that's the dilemma right there. That's the theodicy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's not the theodicy. That's the problem of evil. The theodicy is, which is typically a name we give to the apologetic involved, the theodicy for God's righteousness, I suppose you could say, in light of that problem. Um, yeah, is for a, I mean, we're just basically saying, we're saying it's because God has a reason for allowing sin. Basically, I mean, let's, 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 uh, so I mean, in the shape of the argument that we're looking at is what we call the horns of a dilemma. Mm. Let's teach some uh, uh, some uh, philosophic terms here. Mm-hmm. And the two horns of the dilemma, and the, the idea of the horns of a dilemma are these, that if you go in either one of the directions, you're going to be run through with a horn. Mm. If we say God is loving and good but and does not will suffering, yet suffering exists, on the one hand, you, you are either forced, it seems, by, by the nature of the argument, to deny either his goodness, mm-hmm. his lovingness, or his power. Mm. Um, so, yes, the question is, how do we, is this a true dilemma or is it a false dilemma? Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. And, um, and we would say that, you know, it, it's a true dilemma only in terms of its existential issue in that you know obviously we can come up with all sorts of ways to get off the horns of the false dilemma um logically speaking 
yeah. that, you know, I mean, it's going to, I mean, obviously it vexes everyone. Like, oh my goodness, how is this, you know, evil in the world? And it's it's a terrible thing. And just because you solve it logically, it doesn't take the problem existentially away. So we got to say that because I think a lot of people don't have those two categories and they're kind of looking for the answers existentially yeah, exactly. in the logic. And then, you know, the logic doesn't satisfy. And then, and so, but once you break that down, again, you go to the logic um, and, and you see that logically it does check out if you just say, well, it's not actually, it's it's a false dilemma because, um, you know, God could simply have a morally sufficient reason for allowing sin that we, you know, he just hasn't told us. But God is God. And if he is righteous, then the reason is morally sufficient. End of story. So logically, yes. it's not a problem. It's actually a false issue. Yeah. I mean, Greg, Pons, Greg Bonson builds uh, the case this way. He says, firstly, God is good. Mm-hmm. And he's building it, of course, from Scripture. Secondly, God is all-powerful. Thirdly, evil exists. Mm-hmm. But fourthly, God has a morally sufficient reason for the evil that exists. Mm. Boom. Done. And so it is a it is not a logical problem. It is only a psychological problem. Yeah. And it's, it's not a logical problem because the Scriptures tell us that God is perfect. God is good. He is perfect in every way, all-powerful. But... He has not revealed all the reasons for why he has done things, but we can trust that all of his reasons are 100% perfect. Mm, totally. And what I like to tell people as well is it's not that God's just going, well, just trust me in this nebulous sense because, you know, at the end of the day, you know nothing about me, but, you know, it, it checks out in terms of logic. So just, you know, trust the logic. That's not what's happening at all. Uh, no. God, God, you know, gives us the cross. <laughs> You know, um, at the end of the day, it's not only that you have a morally sufficient reason, but you have something that deals with sin at its at its core, at at the greatest cost imaginable, showing uh, a God that is invested and uh, loving and supremely wise, and uh, you know, through through the whole process has has worked it all out for our good and has shown His uh, ability to triumph over evil, and you know, it just has been vindicated at every turn. Um, and so it's like it's not like we're just saying, "Hey, uh, you know, just just work this through on your on your check and balance system, and, and and it checks out logically." But but rather look at the cross and know that you know that that speaks both to your logical and your psychological difficulty. Yeah. Mm. So we're not asking for a blind faith; we're asking for an informed faith. Yeah. We have enough. We have enough demonstrated in history through the cross and other events like Joseph and David and mm. all the one characters of the Bible and God fulfilling all the promises throughout Scripture, Mm. that He is trustworthy, that He is good, that He is holy, that He is gracious. Um, So we have enough to know that that is true so that we can have an informed faith and trust for the things that we do not know and cannot Mm. see. Mm. Yeah. Totally. I think, what do you think of this one? I, um, uh, I, I still think this is probably the most powerful theodicy um, and revolves around the cross in that, you know, if you think about the the part, you know, you got sin, it's terrible. And obviously we've got things that we could talk about that would just make our skin curl in terms of stuff that exists, you know. And it's it's easy to just become completely, um, you know, horrified and outraged and just thrown into a corner. Uh, we all know tragic events, etc. But at the same time, we know um, that the best part of life is love, Right. I mean, if yeah. you think about it, I think I really resonate with that. Like, you know, you just think about everything, every part of your life, the best part of it is the fact that either you've been loved or you've loved or something, that's truly what has made it, you know, tick, really. And yeah. um, 
And so the greater the love, the greater the worth, essentially. And to, to that, that, that means that a Christian claim that heaven is filled with God's love is really, truly, it's a heaven without that is not really a heaven for a Christian because really that's the, the, the greatest thing that could be. Um, this, this heaven of heavens, God's love, to be loved by God and to have God that you love that, you know, he would never let you down and that sort of thing. Um, yeah. And so just, just that relationship and that exchange. But then what, what, what it does is if that's true and that's sort of settled, you know, you've got a choice because the cross more than anything in the world reveals the love of God in such a way that we just couldn't possibly know about unless there was a cross. And, uh, you know, you, would you rather have a, a world without sin and no cross, or would you rather have the cross at any cost to know the greatest thing, which is the love of God? Um, you know, it's, it's kind of like a, it's not, I'm not really shooting at the, um, the you know, Yumian sort of uh, problem there or the logical issue as much as I am just trying to kind of deal with this issue of the heart as well, because, because of the psychological problem is Bonson talks about it because yeah. you know at the end of the day i've so far um through anything that i could imagine or think about as it, and this would only apply for christians of course you know you've already understood the precious worth of the love of christ um but you know just just the idea of there not being a cross is the worst thought you know um to not know of that redemption and that grace and to not know of, of the God of that cross is just, you know, the, the, what could be worse? You know, that's the word. That is the worst thing. And, yeah. and not, not only the love is displayed, I mean, the power, I mean, think of, think of some of the impossible things God did. God became a man. Mm. The infinite one became finite. The sinless one became sin. Mm. I mean, Whoa! <laughs> yeah. Profound. Not only was his goodness demonstrated, but his power was also demonstrated. Yeah, he was all revealed. From yeah. the dead, and he overcame Satan's sin and death in the resurrection, mm. um, and was raised into that body which will never die as a guarantee of a new creation. Mm. You know, it's yeah. the power is evident as well at the cross, not just the love. And so, you know, we, we answer both. God is both good and powerful, and the, the cross is the demonstration of that. Yeah. yeah. And so, you know. Christians can account for the problem of evil logically, but they can also come to grips with it psychologically yeah. better than anyone else can because yeah. of our hope, yeah. because of Christ's resurrection, mm. because of the cross. Yeah. And what's so funny is the unbeliever, you know, anytime you get into a discussion with an unbeliever on the issue of the problem of the evil, they're often so morally outraged and emotionally yeah. charged. Mm -hmm. And Greg Bonson actually says, that's a good thing. What's that? Greg Bonson says, that's a good thing. Let them get all emotional because what you want to do is you want to say, why are you so angry? Yeah, what basis do you, do you yeah. have any grounds what, to say what, bad? You don't, you, you don't have a definition of good or evil. Yeah. You have to borrow it from our worldview. Yeah. That's and then we, all, yeah. we also want to say that the atheist this, what solution will you offer? Mm. Where will you, What will happen in the end to what you think is evil now? Hmm. And they don't have an answer. It's just going to carry on until we all die. They don't have evil, and they don't have an answer for the evil that yeah. they don't have. Yeah. And um, in Christianity, we not only have God demonstrating his goodness, his power, and not only does he overcome, well, not only does, does he provide definitions of good and evil, but he, he gives us the, the solution and the hope that one day all evil will come to an end. Mm. 
So important to realize, you know, even when you've looked at this and perhaps there are, I mean, there will obviously always be niggly little things that you don't have full answers to and, you know, mystery to things. I mean, just it's the nature of the, the question. But but in light of the opposing answers and worldviews, oh, there's just nothing that's even close to Christianity in terms of, you know, providing that logical basis um, and that, that rational understanding and hatred for evil, really, at the end of the day, uh, along with um, so, overcoming so it. Yeah. Here are some other worldviews trying to answer the problem of evil and a good and powerful God. Mm. So Zoroastrianism, mm. they, they give a dualistic answer teaching that there is a force for good, God, and an equal force for evil. Mm-hmm. The good comes from God, but the evil comes from somewhere else. Mm-hmm. So God is good, but, you know... Mm. He's got this other ultimate equal evil thing going on. He's mm-hmm. not. He's not all powerful. Mm. The force, Star yeah. Wars. Yeah. Or Pl- Plato. So Plato had a good god, but Plato made space. Uh, he accommodated an eternal and chaotic matter, mm-hmm. which was the source for all evil. So more of a naturalistic. So God is good, and nature is where evil comes from. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So God is good, but he's not really in control. Mm-hmm. Then you had Aristotle, who had a, a deistic concept of God. Mm-hmm. So, you know, he's just far off. He just doesn't care. This this argument is on the side of God's probably powerful for putting everything here, but he's he's not engaged. Mm. Mm. Eastern thought denies evil as an illusion, like mm-hmm. Christian science would do. Yeah. And naturalistic evolution, they've got the biggest problem of all because they they, they can't even define evil. Yeah. They have no reason to be outraged. Yeah. Yeah, and and no no solution to be offered. They have to embrace the survival of the fittest and, mm-hmm. and call evil good. Yeah. Yeah. There we go. There are your options, you know. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Oh man. You know, and you know, the the whole often just kind of thinking about that unbeliever getting outraged thing as well. Um you know, one of the, I I think it's actually quite a good point to talk about the gospel because a lot of it presupposes, even when it's not so much they're coming at it from a kind of evolutionary framework or anything, but just just the um, the moral outrage of the sinner against God. Like you just think about that concept. Like you're the you're the one who has rebelled against God is is raging is you know waving his fist at God, saying you know I, I'm never going to believe in you. I could never believe in you because of this evil that's all around, you know? I mean, yeah. the the absolute arrogance of that idea is, is you know, it's scary. Um, and that, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, like, dude, we are the evil, you know, we are the problem. And I think I think the reality is that it's it's really quite a good launch pad into the gospel in that I use it, I use it all the time to, in fact, I've used it this week to, to tell people that, um, you know, let's say someone is going through a terrible time, has lost someone who's, and, and, you know, past the grieving phase and we're just into the anger with God phase. Um, I use it to tell them, listen, it's a sign. The things that you are all around you that are going wrong and these terrible tragedies that you, you know, are seeing and perhaps have undergone yourself, they're all signs to the fact that we are not simpatico with God. Like everything is not okay. You know, that we are yeah. at enmity with God. We're, we're at this, we're, in, we've declared war against him and uh, we've unleashed, uh, you know, the, the curse as it were. Um, we we are heading like a steam train to the day when we'll give an account that we're uh, with the God before the God, a God that we're at war with, and um, <laughs> you know this is this is a scary thing. If you're thinking like you know these things are tragic now, I mean at the end of the day, what are you going to say when you stand before God? And, and then to mm-hmm. go from that context into the 
though God could have just done away with us, and 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 no, we need only to turn inwards for a second to 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 know that that's true in terms of our failure. Everyone has failed enough to know that that's true, and and yet and yet the reality is common grace for one. The fact that you're even 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 that you even had a relationship of love with anyone, that you even got to breathe some pure air, that you even did do a good day's work. I mean, all of these things are are immediately just undeserved, and then then that he would offer uh, uh, salvation through himself taking this punishment. It's just a really powerful way to to flip the whole thing on its head and get people to consider it properly. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and it's it seems like a counterintuitive time to explain that to people. But I think often it it's just maybe one of the most, you know, they care about evil at that point. They, and it's maybe an opportunity for them to understand what they're part of. Um, you know, if they hate, they hate what they're seeing, they've got to, they've got to be able to, uh, you know, admit at some level that they're part of what they hate and, um, and can therefore see their, their own condemnation. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So yeah, those are, those are some good ones. Um, problem of good we've dealt with and the problem of evil. We have, um, I've, uh, I came across something from Barnes and I thought that might be useful as well. Okay. Because uh, he, what he does, he looks at the uh, the problem of definitions. Okay. So if you're not, if you're not, if you if you're an atheist, you don't believe in God. Where do you get your definitions from? And he says you've got three options. Mm-hmm. Firstly, you can build your definition on public approval. Mm-hmm. Whatever the majority says, whatever society says is good or evil, that's what it is. Mm-hmm. So this makes morality a public construct, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What's the, what's the problem with this view? Well. We can never talk of societal evil because the majority is always right. Mm-hmm. It ends up reducing ethics to statistics, counting votes. Mm-hmm. And on top of that, we could have a definition of evil, which would be one thing today. And if the majority changes their mind, it could be a completely even opposite thing tomorrow. Yep. Yep. And so that's not, it's not a solid foundation for our definitions, is it? Yeah. And what else have you got? You know? Exactly. Yeah. And um, so then the, 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 the second, uh, place you get your definitions from is the individual yeah in my freedom and right to self-expression i define my own reality and definitions of good and evil yeah yeah what's the problem with this well it fails the contradiction test because you can have two people with opposing views both mm-hmm. being right mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's uh, a bit of a and if i create my own rights my own values i can never by by definition i can never be wrong yeah totally yeah i mean you just got flagrant flagrant relativism at that point yep um, yeah and, and then the, the, yeah. Third, the third view would be utilitarianism all uh, right yeah and that's based on outcomes the pragmatist mm. good and evil are defined by the greatest good for the greatest number yeah and this this view runs into problems oh boy so firstly what's the greatest good uh, well how do you define good again yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah what, what what is the best outcome uh, how are you deciding that you have no definitions of good and evil yet yeah, uh, and in order for this this view to work, you need a perfect view of the future to know what will work well according to the definition of good you've arbitrarily chosen. Yeah, yeah, and so oh, it runs man. into huge problems. And even submitting morality to utilitarianism, dang, that's good. that's going to go badly. It has yeah, gone badly. So yeah, we have to borrow from the Christian worldview when it comes to good and evil to 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 make uh, the accusation against God. And yeah, we just throw that back at them. Mm, totally. Yeah, it's it's a powerful, powerful, 
you know, it's interesting because the theodicy issue is often regarded as the most difficult problem and the most relevant problem to discuss with um, today's generation. But it's really, I think, the most powerful way to, to, to um, you know, I don't think we should shrink back from it at all. Yeah. Um, you know, if it, it's, it most clearly demonstrates the poverty of, of um, those um, ideas in the marketplace that oppose Christianity. I mean, it's just, uh, it's, it's, it's brutal. It just leaves them with nothing. Um, yeah. yeah. So, you know, again, hopefully that's empowering to those who listen. What, what was the Stein and Bonson debate about again? Was it about the Odyssey or was it about something else? Oh, I don't remember now. I just remember the part about the laws of logic, but, uh, yeah, yeah. I know he but, applied what we're ultimately talking about now anyway, but, um, yeah, I can't remember if it was actually to do with the cause of, uh, or at least um, uh, theodicy. But certainly, I mean, you know, if if you haven't, if you're listening to this and you haven't ever heard Bonson versus Stein, uh, do yourself a favor and Google that right now. And um, man, it just it, uh, you know, that debate. Obviously, it was the it, it, you know people have come back to it, and there's been further discussion about it. But at its core, it just demonstrates what we're saying now. Um, there's just almost nothing. There's nothing left. There's nothing. You've just got you've got to work in complete nothingness, uh, borrowed capital from beginning to end. Um, yep. You know, if you want to approach this this a weighty subject like the problem of evil without any infrastructure, as they do. Yeah, amen. Yeah. yeah. All right, good. Um, let's draw it to a close. It's Friday. It's been a big week. Got Saturday tomorrow. Um, take it easy, guys. Have a good one. Thanks, Nick. Yeah, good one. Cheers. Mm-hmm.